the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your favorite teams and leagues, The Athletic delivers everything you need in every sports story that matters. The Olympics, the Major League Baseball trade deadline, the NBA offseason, the NHL offseason, the EPL offseason. It's all there, and it is all exclusive ad-free content. Visit theathletic.com slash track. Get 40% off your first-year subscription today. We are also presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, providing financial solutions for professionals and athletes at the top of their game, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment strives to bring these professionals the financial solutions they need, including access to financing, supporting prospective NFL and NBA athletes through the draft process. Find out more about Morgan Stanley's pre- and post-draft loan program at morganstanley.com GSE. morganstanley.com GSE. Happy Friday. Third show of the week. It's getting that time of year. Training camps are starting. I mentioned all the off-seasons we have going on right now. It's a bounce-around time for us at Spot Track. Scott Allen will join me in just a few minutes. We did a quick NBA free agency guide on .com yesterday. We're going to run through that in terms of like what the exceptions are going to look like, minimum max salaries, uh, contract extension candidates, certainly your free agents and your restricted free agents, which really could be maybe the most interesting part of this off-season. So just a quick run-through kind of a kickoff to the NBA offseason now that the Bucks have been crowned champs. And then back end of the show, Darren Heitner, a sports lawyer, a sports law uh, professor, an excellent follow on Twitter if you haven't done so already. He's been following this name image likeness stuff for years now, sort of, sort of really out of the gates of it. He's written books about it. He's certainly speaking to it on Twitter, working directly with some athletes, working directly with some companies who are facilitating this process. He's a fascinating guy, and uh, I'm thrilled to have him back on the show really specifically for this because, you know, we can talk about what's gone right, what's gone wrong, what's still to come, who's involved, who shouldn't be involved. He's got a lot of great answers to some of those questions. So back into the show is Darren Heitner. And real quick off the top here, um, look, it is NFL contract extension season as well for some of those athletes out there that we've mentioned, maybe a few we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Fred Warner just cashed in with the 49ers. That was a no-brainer. He's going to reset that market. The situation that's happening now, there'll be another one in terms of the off-ball linebacker. Darius Leonard will get a contract in Indy. Indy should have two contracts in the next couple of weeks. Braden Smith, the right tackle. Darius Leonard, the off-ball linebacker. Um, and then if we bounce around the league a little bit, just some names to think about. TJ Watt in Pittsburgh. What, what is his long-term situation there? He should Joey Bosa cash in. I mean, upwards of $25, 26000000 million per year. The situation then turns to quarterbacks. Does Lamar get one? Does Baker get one? Does Josh Allen get one? It sounds like Lamar may be first, which is funny because he's without an agent, so maybe there's nobody telling him he should be waiting. We'll see what happens with these NFL contract extensions. I bet you there's half a dozen in the next two weeks as this case camp opens, as things sort of sort of shell itself out a little bit. But something to keep an eye on. We'll certainly be watching that here at SpotTrick.com. Let's talk basketball with Scott. All right, Scott, we've got a free agency guide on the, on the website, upcoming dates, some of these option decisions, which is really the first step of this process. And then it turns to free agents, 
I kind of mentioned in the open that the restricted free agency season may be the most interesting one to watch because of the names that are there. Um, just how the, the landscape of the league could change if a player like John Collins, if a player like Lonzo Ball, even a Duncan Robinson really changes teams via the, via the offer sheet. It doesn't happen. I don't know why it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in hockey. It doesn't happen in basketball. It rarely happens in football. I don't know if there's a reason for it outside of the fact that GMs just have sort of an unwritten clause that, that say, don't screw each other over. You don't do it. I don't do it. We don't do it. Nobody does it. Is it going to happen this year? Because those are some serious names. Those are some serious names. The biggest reason why it doesn't happen is those teams acquiring a restricted free agent, they have to have cap space to offer those teams or that player. So the fact that there's teams that don't necessarily have a lot of cap space is mainly the reason why we don't see a lot of offer sheets or uh, you know, restricted uh, players signing with another team. Yeah. And, and I have at the bottom of this free agency guide on .com, I have a practical cap space that was calculated by you and Keith. Um, I went, I went to the high range obviously to show what could be possible. So at the bottom of this piece, I've got every single team and what they could, they could potentially free up in terms of cap space in the next week or so, you know, are, are any of these guys where I'm talking about here, max guy, Scott is Lonzo ball, a max guy is John Collins, a max guy. Um, you know, marketing probably is not a max guy, right? I mean, wh where are we with the, with the compensation for these players before we talk about who may be able to fit them in? I don't necessarily think that any of them are max guys, but I think some of them like a John Collins, maybe Alonzo ball, depending on who wants to throw an offer at him could get, you know, in that, probably second tier money, but what I are don't we talking think, about for, for the 25%. What is the max salary for the 25% player? Uh, we're talking about $28 million okay. for so, the so zero to six So we free up about 30 experience. million then. So let's talk about the teams. I mean, the Knicks right off the bat can do it. The, the they Knicks, could. The Knicks could open up upwards of $50 million in cap space with some renouncings and some, and, and some option declines, things like that. That's Alonzo ball destination. Do you not agree with that? Yeah, I think that could be a possible destination. Absolutely. So is there at least a chance that we get an offer sheet here? Because I'm dying for one. I think it's one of the most interesting facets of team building. Yeah, I could see that potentially happen. They have enough space. It depends on, I guess, who is at the top of their, their target board to use that space with. I mean, right now we're projecting them to be about $51 million in space. Right. Uh, so they can... They can use it wisely. And, you know, if you structure the deal with ball accordingly, you know, you could still have quite a bit of space left. And if if they realize that there is no market for ball, you know, they don't necessarily have to go to the high end of the market for him. Um, so so it, let me let me put it this way, because what we've seen in lieu of these kind of moves is just a signing trade. Correct. That's usually what happens here. Which, which means you don't necessarily have to use cap space to acquire a player, but you, you do have to give something up in most cases. You know, Charlotte didn't give up much to get Gordon Hayward because of the, you know, the Boston's trade exception. So what are we doing here? Is that just where we're going still? Is the sign-in trade going to be how these teams operate? Why would a team like the Knicks want to hard cap themselves, though? A team like the Knicks doesn't really care about the hard cap because, because of how so far, far below. Away. Okay. But it's team it's teams like 
you know, the Golden State Warriors, the Brooklyn Nets, some of those teams that are so high, some of them are so high that they can't even really facilitate a sign and trade because uh, they would already be over the apron. That's why, you that hear, are, that's why you hear Golden State looking at Dame and Bradley Beal because that would correct. be an outright trade. You, you're sending right. players back in, in a matching situation there. Right. And, and so teams like the Knicks, the Spurs, it's to Thunder to a certain extent, you know, they have that cap space so they can offer these restricted guys, uh, you know, whatever they want. Now, the caveat with the restricted free agents is they can agree to let, let's say for hypothetical purposes, Lonzo Ball and the Knicks come to an agreement. They sign this offer sheet as soon as August 6th hits. The Nick or the uh, Pelicans would have two days to match that contract. Now, sometimes the reports will come out that the team isn't going to match it regardless, mm -hmm. but the team has a right to match that. Now, the team that the like the Knicks, because they are signing with cap space, they can structure that deal in a manner where, you know, they could backload the contract or completely front load the contract where, you know, the Pelicans couldn't even match it, you know, in some cases, depending on what the team is. It, it with the team matching it, it may put them over, uh, you know, into their luxury tax or something like that. So it, there's more power on the team signing the restricted free agent because they can structure the deal to uh, hurt the other team from trying to match it. Yeah. Look, it's a it's a bad time to be in Pel a Pelicans fan right now. I threw out like a snarky tweet kind of joking a couple days ago, but then I started to actually look at this team and we've talked about the Steven Adams situation and all that, but I mean, they're rolling in right now with negative 69 of cap and they're a lost franchise. I think Lonzo's gone and I, I think they want Lonzo gone. I think they want, I think they're subtracting right now versus adding. And certainly that's what their financials say as well. Scott, new coach, I, I, you know, the tweet I put out there was, you know, if Chris Paul jumps ship and joins LeBron, you could have an Anthony Davis, Le Chris Paul, former New Orleans Pelicans, uh, you know, finals champion next year. I mentioned how the Saints could be worse. We talked about that last week a little bit. I, I don't know if you want to be in New Orleans rooting for sports right now is, is my point. This is bad news, but that's just one of the teams. I, the teams with cap space, Oklahoma's not going to make their move this year, right? Do you, do you anticipate that? I mean, that's part of this offseason preview here. And I don't think Keith was very confident with them either making their moves. They still feel like that, that team that, that wants to take on other people's trash and they'll facilitate themselves via the draft for the next few seasons, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. Yeah, which is too bad because SGA is a hell of a player and he's getting wasted on this roster right now. So I hope there's some Correct. movement there at some point. Other teams with cast space... You know, it's the Knicks, it's the Thunder, it's the Charlotte Hornets, which is really interesting. They need some size. There is some size out there. That's a John Collins destination for me. You know, I know Dallas wants a wants to look at Collins, but they just simply don't have the cap, in my opinion, to get it done. They they could. They're one of those teams that could free up enough. So put Dallas in this conversation, put Charlotte in this conversation, put the Knicks in this conversation for any of these players. Um but at the end of the day, the million-dollar question is this. Is there even an offer sheet signed? I, I'll go out on a limb and say yes. Yeah, I, I think, think this... I, I think the I, Collins think situation year, is, is is enough. I think he's a, um, an interesting agreed. and unique enough player, and now he has playoff experience. 
Yeah, that, and I think the Duncan Robinson is a name that has been sneaky. thrown out there quite a bit. So I think that's a sneaky pick that could, or sneaky player that could come in here and potentially sign with, uh, you know, a, a team that needs a shooter. You know, it's, even someone like the Knicks or you know Dallas could use another Dallas. shooter. So I, I would not be surprised if he goes out and sees uh, what kind of market he has, and if he comes back with an offer sheet, we'll see if, if that's the case. But I, I would put Robinson on that list. I would put Collins in Ball, as we just talked about. That that's an interesting situation there. You know, does he play on the qualifying offer? Does he get an offer sheet? Does the New Orleans just let him walk? Um, I, I'm not sure I'm going to touch that one uh, with a guess on that. I don't think the Pelicans want anything to do with almost $15 million in Lonzo Ball for that qualifying offer. Well, and the other thing that has come out in the last uh, few days here, I don't know if you've seen it, but it, the rumor is Bledsoe or Adams is to be moved as a trade piece at some point. With it what, sounds like four first-round picks? <laughs> I mean, I, you're selling draft picks at that point. Right. So I don't necessarily know what the team is knows what they want to be around Ingram and around Williamson. And it just came down last night that they, they finally hired their head coach. So that's the last team to drop <laughs> to have their head coach uh, days before the yeah. draft even comes. So I, I don't necessarily know this team knows what direction they're going, but I think it's an important direction to whatever pieces that they do move or keep. Unrestricted guys. DeRozan's the name. Norman Powell's a nice name. Certainly Kyle Lowry and Mike Conley could both really change the landscape of some of these teams out there. I put Dennis Schroeder as like a, a little bit under that in terms of a tier and Oladipo's maybe with Schroeder. Nice names, complimentary players, you know, ball movers, ball handlers, pretty much are leading the way here. DeRozan's more of a shooter, but he's not an elite shooter anymore in this league. What are we doing here with unrestricted free agents? Because we talked about the teams who have the cap space. Is, are are many of these players going to be signed and traded or stay with their own? I think there's a good chance that a lot of these teams stay with their own, at least for right. the, sh the short term, because we don't know what the necessary long term of the, the cap is going to be or where the CBA is going to be in, in a year or two. So I, I Part of me wants to think some of these guys are they'll see what they can get on the, the free agent market in negotiation period. But I think a lot of them, there's a good chance that they end up staying with the team that they may have unless a massive blockbuster sign and trade like you mentioned could happen. Yeah, I just don't see that with any of these players, not even Kyle Lowry. Um, the fact that Lowry wasn't moved to the deadline to me was telling uh, Toronto's kind of holding their cards. I don't know if Toronto has the team to keep him right now. Nor do I think they have the financial situation to do it as well. So the he moves and, and which big contending team he goes to, I think will be very interesting. Philly, Los Angeles, either Los Angeles. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity here for Kyle Lowry in the twilight of his career. And we've talked about it with Keith as well, Scott. Norman Powell Powell's situation is interesting because of the consequences of how his offseason goes. If CJ McCollum is traded, Powell stays. If Dame Lillard is trading, Powell probably stays. He's probably the and or in Portland with either or, or of those big stars, but maybe not. Because if you're trading Dame Lillard, are you just ripping everything off? Are you just trading everybody? Because I, I think all three of these players in terms of shooting guards, Powell, McCollum, and Dame 
could generate you know a, a ton of assets for this team on the open market in terms of trade, even just a sign and trade situation with Powell. So you could really utilize this, you know, understanding who you are finally, Portland, instead of bleeding two hundred million dollars cash every year for a non-playoff contender. If if they made three significant moves like that, you could become a rebuilt team maybe in three years with draft picks and some of the pieces you could bring back here. I think it's an interesting situation to think about where, you know, many times it's, I got to trade one superstar. We'll try to piece it back together to replace that guy. You could literally rip the bandaid off here in Portland in six weeks. Oh, absolutely. And if Lillard goes, McCollum's not going to be far behind. It's sort of similar. I to hope, the- right. I hope they don't hang on and try to have some semblance of a team with McCollum because that that's that's a recipe for disaster. Well, it, it, you're you're going back to what happened to Houston. Yes. Westbrook went, then yes. Harden went. It, it was a, a domino effect. So if Lillard goes, you just have to pull that bandaid off, and McCollum's got to go too, and yeah. then you you just restructure on the fly for the next few years, get your draft picks. Maybe because of the types of players those are, you could probably bring bring in some really nice pieces to build going forward. And then, you know, if you can get, uh, depending on what team it goes to, get a nice draft pick or a lottery pick, depending on where the player goes. Um, But I agree. If if Lillard does get moved, they have to pull the Band-Aid go off completely in. and yeah. go all in. Yeah, because they have they have tradable assets, and I think it'd be really interesting. I kind of glossed over DeRozan. I, I like the player. What kind of interest, though? I mean, it, he's not a max guy anymore, is he? No, I don't think so. And, you know, he's had some really slow starts these last few years. Yeah. And then he, he sort of comes back to where his average is, I believe. Um, but... I think I think he's a guy that a team could bring in as their your their three or fourth man in their roster. Like a where Boston. He's not yeah. he's not the main guy, but he is going to contribute sort of like we saw with Milwaukee. You know, you had a lot of guys that you know they, they traded for the 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 Drew Holiday who did step up, but he was able to contribute around Giannis and around sure. Middleton. I think DeRozan is probably at that you know third fourth man on that roster that's going to help with the depth and I think that's going to be big after coming off of this season that we had teams are going to focus on having players that they can have as much depth as possible knowing they're going back to a full regular season uh, they're you know we don't know where the whole COVID situation is going to go what the protocols are going to bring about again so I think teams are going to really do as much as they can to make sure that they are as deep as possible on the roster, knowing there may be, you know, a handful of games where their stars are going to have to sit because of the protocols or, you know, even injuries, too. We saw so many guys get injured. So I think DeRozan is going to be able to go to a team where they're looking for that depth. Now, how it works out, again, we just talked about some of the teams that have yeah. cap space and they could sign him, but I don't necessarily know if those teams are A, ready for him or want him. So it could be could a situation Dallas. where... I could see Dallas. Well, that, that would be a nice little plan B for Dallas if they can't land one of these megastars, right? Yeah, I, yeah, that's a good point. But I think with the, the way San Antonio's roster is, if you could do a sign-in trade with DeRozan to bring back some pieces... I think that may be best case scenario for them because, you know, they've got a lot of young guys on their roster. Pop is towards the end of his career, probably, um, you know, 
So I, I think a sign and trade may be advantageous to the Spurs, but I, I could be way off based on that as well. I think it's, I think we're going to see it more than not. Even with this not so great crop of free agents, I think we're going to see quite a few of those still. It just seems to be the, the moniker that's being used well, most. That, and, that, and that's why I bring up the depth part. We, we all know that this free agent class is not the most stellar and everyone's looking towards next offseason. But this may be the offseason for teams to really sure. you know, play chess with their roster and and sort of what we talk with the NFL. Get your pieces around the quarterback before you get the quarterback so then you can plug and go. This may be a year where teams that think they may be like fringe. an Atlanta Hawks, yeah, where man, the they may guys, be Memphis, Golden State, Atlanta. That that's yeah. right, Dallas. I, I think you're adding that third, fourth piece, just like you said, Scott. Because, and it, it, you're right. It's not an October move, right? It's a March move. It's a March, April, May move. Uh, you're exactly right, Scott. And we see this in baseball quite a bit. You know, if it's a if it's a weak crop of pitchers on the free agent market. Sometimes teams love that because they can get their third starting pitcher for $15 million a year, and it's the single move that makes them legitimate contenders. So it's it's a good way to look at it. Even though it's not, not a sexy li- list of names out there, you've got some teams like a Dallas. You know, I guess the Lakers have to be in this conversation. They were the seventh seed, <laughs> and they don't have a point guard. So, yeah, you're right. I just think how it gets done is the, is the fascinating decision. So... Would you say if I'm looking at these ten players I put here, Scott, are half of them getting signed and traded? Is that just how the league is working now? Yeah, most likely. Yeah, I think that's about right. Probably. Yeah, we've seen the, we've seen the uptick on the sign and trade market for the last few years because teams are realizing that the sign and trade is a way of getting around not having cap space but still facilitating movement. They, they, and they understand that they're hard capped. And like I said, some of those teams that are are already way over, they're not going to facilitate a sign and trade unless they can trade some pieces first to get themselves low enough that they could facilitate that. Um, but the teams that are in the middle, sign and trade is the way to go for them uh, outside of being hard capped because they can be over the cap but still facilitate a, uh, the trade and acquire the player that they want and maybe move some pieces off that they don't want. And, you know, like you said, those middling teams, those teams that are right on the fringe, maybe they think they're a year mm-hmm. or two like the Atlanta Hawks, you know, if they make these moves, they're setting themselves up for potential down the road of let's go all in next year. But with that being said, knowing that, next year has a large crop of potential free agents depending on player options or just outright free agents or restricted free agency, you know, you may see some teams like the Knicks or the the Thunder, the Spurs, they may drag their feet a little bit more to make sure that they have the cap space moving forward. You know, the Knicks have done this for the last few years, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, signing a a one year with a club option to give them all the power to keep a player or not keep a player and make sure they, they have the most ample practical cap space available for them to sign players. You may see that with this year where, you know, you may have more salary dumps to other teams Mm -hmm. because they want to set themselves up for the long run. Pelicans being one of them, as you mentioned. Yeah. yeah, Especially if they realize what their roster is and who they are going to be. And if they realize there's no way we're contending for, you know, even a play in spot this upcoming season. Yeah. Now's the time to make sure we have as much cap space as possible for 2022. So it, 
it's for the front office to realize who are they, where do they want to go, and you know, if a sign and trade is where it goes, that's fine because some of these players that they sign and trade, they'll be able to be traded again at the trade deadline when we get to that point anyway. So it could be just a let's see if this works out, and if not, we're gonna punt. The starting point guard for the Los Angeles Lakers in October is. Should I give you a multiple choice? Lonzo Ball, Dennis Schroeder, Kyle Lowry, Reggie Jackson. Who am I missing? Mike Conley, I guess. Although he's staying. He's staying in Utah. Let's be perfectly honest here. Chris Paul, I forgot. There's your fifth. Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, Reggie Jackson, Dennis Schroeder, Lonzo Ball. I'm going to go F, not on the roster. None of <laughs> those? Not, not, F, none of those. You know, you think they're, they're going they're, cheap? Because they can't do it, I, right? I, I really do think they're going to go cheap. I and think that's the right answer. Bring, everyone keeps bringing up you know, Chris Paul to the Lakers or you know, even Westbrook to the Lakers. Yep. or uh, They don't have the pieces on their roster <laughs> right. to make these moves. You know, if you actually really dive in... you know. Is a team really going to want to, for hypothetical purposes, with Phoenix? Is Phoenix going to want to do a signing trade with Chris Paul for Dennis Schroeder and other pieces to match that salary uh, that he could sign for? I I don't see it. <laughs> in, in their whole roster, you know, other cap holds, there are a lot of minimum value guys. So, you know, you can't really sign and trade those guys to offset. The, the some only of these guys one that, is you can you can you can definitely sign and trade Montrez Harrell. Yes, you could. I mean, that's a possibility, and, and you you'd get back your ten million dollar point guard, whoever the heck that is. It's none of the guys I just mentioned. No, okay? it's not. Um, it's more likely to me when we're really talking about it, and not just being flipping you know on Twitter that campaign is the point guard of the Lakers and not Chris Paul. If we're talking about Phoenix point guards, Cameron Payne's an unrestricted free agent and he's not going to break the bank. I mean, he's getting max nine, 10 max. I mean, he's a role player, but that's something the Lakers could, could handle with an exception, even right. With just using an over exception. That's the kind of player they're probably identifying right now, in my opinion. You know, maybe Austin Rivers on a veteran minimum contract. Let's be let's be honest here. Uh, and it's also it's got to be something somebody really specific because playing with LeBron James is no easy task. He just doesn't. Right. He, there there are nights where he wants to be the point guard, and you've just got to suck it up that you're either going to be on the bench or going to be sitting on a wing waiting for a, waiting for a pass on a prick and roll. Like it's just how it works. So you're not going to, I don't think you're going to get a Kyle Lowry running to the Lakers trying to get on that team. To me, it's Philadelphia and Miami for Kyle Lowry. And it has been since the trade deadline. I'm, I was shocked it didn't happen then. I think it will happen now with one of those teams, especially if Ben Simmons goes, if Dragic is able to walk, and if Duncan Robinson is somehow facilitated off that Miami roster. Now you've got plenty of room for a player like Kyle Lowry to, to come in and take the reins. So I think the Lakers are way down the list for many of these situations, especially with trade, Scott, because you're right. There's just not a, an asset that can be thrown into a mix to match a trade that any of these teams are going to go for. Nobody's going to bail the Lakers out this time. It's happened like five times in a row. 
with the Anthony Davis situation. With uh, It just happens over and over again. Nobody's going to do it this time. Yeah, and the, the only way that I could see, you know, them being able to really get like a Chris Paul or someone like that is if he takes a massive discount and signs for like 15 to 20 million dollars where the, the matching would only be around 15 to 20 million dollars. You know, that that's the only way that I could see something happening where th- they're able to acquire one of those. Just think big, about that. Think he would be giving up 44.2 million dollars on the runner up team to join the Lakers at half that price. Like that's just, uh, just not going to happen. No, and I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I, I bring it up because I know it State is a Farm scenario that well, could but. happen, but, <laughs> but we haven't seen a player really take that no. much of a discount outside of my, my career is really almost done. I'm just going to take the minimum yeah. or, um, yeah, but we don't even know, see I, that I, in the NBA really, Scott. I mean, we see Kevin Durant takes six, 7 million less here or there. You know, there's been some incentive laden contracts. LeBron maxed out recently. Like it's just, it just doesn't happen. Well, and what 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 we have seen is players signing at that non-taxpayer mid level, that nine and a half million, going up to ten over the next few years. You know, players signing at that to show that they still are worth money, but then get into back into the free agent market and not necessarily be stuck yeah. on a minimum for the rest of their career. Because you know, usually once you sign that minimum, you, you you're sort of pigeonholed into that I mean, slot. Maybe um, that's Reggie Jackson. Maybe, you know, maybe because he'd be going from like two and a half million to 10 million, essentially on an exception signing. But he, he's at an all time high right now. Like he could go cash in probably 25 million a year somewhere. Am I wrong? Mm, that's probably high. Still. <laughs> Still, <laughs> I don't think he's taking the exception is the point here. Uh, fascinating. The, Laker, the Lakers position in all this is fascinating to me. So that's one of the offseason notes to bring up for sure. And uh, let's get down and dirty with some of these numbers. We, you, uh, you broke down the kind of the offseason of how this looks in terms of the, the max salaries, the minimum salaries. What, talk a little bit about the veteran minimum situation, because I think obviously as, as we're talking, that's going to come and play a lot. It's similar to how the NFL has their veteran benefit, right? Yeah, so the minimum salaries that we have posted, and this is based on a 112 salary cap, obviously in the next week or so, may get uh, an alteration to that. But as of right now, uh, a player with zero years experience would have just over $925,000 as their base salary. Up to a a 10 plus veteran would be at 2.6 million. Mm -hmm. Um, And then how the salary cap works is, anyone that has two years and above would actually be at that two years salary. So, um, so like a guy like Andre Drummond, if he were to sign a a minimum salary contract and go back with the Lakers, you know, he would make 2.6 million in base salary, but his cap hit would count for $1.67 million. So it's going to be important. it, It is going to be important. And we've seen that it's important, especially if teams do hard cap themselves because they're saving that little bit of money towards the cap and not having to pay the full base salary towards that. Um, and, and then if, if we're talking about them going to the flip side of the maximum salaries, as we mentioned, 25% of the cap is around $28 million based on the 112 salary cap, 30%, which is for years of experience between seven and nine uh, is at 33.7 million. And then 35% of the cap, which is 10 years and above, 
is 39.3 million. We're almost there. We're almost at $40 million for a starting salary on a max extension. It's coming. It is coming. Notable extension candidates before we get out of here, Scott. I think uh, DeAndre Ayton has earned his right. Certainly Luca is going to get that super max offer, I would imagine. What's going on with like an Embiid or a Julius Randle? It, I I don't know with Embiid yeah. because I guess it depends on where does Simmons go or is Simmons still there and do they believe in what Embiid's history with the you know injury history we saw him have some issues this year where he had to take some time off because of some injuries. Um, I just don't think it's necessary. To, I don't to, to make the offer. You know well, what I mean? Like, it's that, not like he's going to de- demand a trade if they don't tack on, you know, four extra years onto what he already has. It seems like he's just finding himself in this roster, and I think he's pretty he's pretty satisfied, don't you? Well, and, and that, that was the next point I was going to bring up is if he signs an extension this offseason, you know, he still has two years included, you know, 2021 yeah. and then the 2022 season of salaries, we've seen this happen before. John Wall, Damian Lillard, they signed these extensions two years ahead of time, and then you, you, you sort of pigeonhole yourself. So I don't necessarily know if the 76ers are even entertaining this. If it were me, I would not entertain this till at least next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, see what you've got one more year, and plus what does the roster look like? What does uh, is right. uh, There's going to be a lot Simmons of rebuilding happening there. there. Yeah. So I, I I do not think they should extend an extension to him. Uh, let, let's pump the brakes on that and see what happens. Okay, so John Wall's a no. Steph Curry has to be talked about more. He's entering a contract yeah. year here. Yeah, you're right. Uh, if he is satisfied with Golden State and they do offer him that amount of money, I think you take it. And then if at the back end they feel that they, I don't think they would trade him. He's the he's the he's who built that new arena that's there. So um, if he's satisfied and and happy with being there in the Golden State Warriors for uh, the rest of his career, then go with it. Um, it's, but it, it the ball is in the Warriors court there. I'm not, not sure like, it is. I'm not sure it is. Well, I, I, I mean that from the standpoint of the Golden State Warriors can offer him the extension. Oh, they don't have they to will. They will, Scott. So, I mean, we know the NBA. Everybody's going to get the contract. But don't you think the ball is more in Curry's court here? And don't you think Curry's probably having a similar conversation that we just had about Philly? Whereas, look, he knows changes are coming. I mean, Draymond might be going this offseason. Let's be fair there. Wiseman may be one and done in, in Golden State. They're they're talking Bradley Beal. They're talking Dame Limbo. Those are real rumors. They, yes, they, they want. And look, that's not just, you know, security for Clay Thompson's injury. It's, you know, Steph Curry is going to be 33, 34 in a couple of years. So what do we do there? And also, like you said, Every team needs three guys now, and maybe those three guys can all sit outside the three-point line, and you can be contenders. That's just how the game is going. So there's going to be some upheaval on that roster. There's no question about it one way or another. Maybe not as flashy as I just laid out there, but something's going to happen. I I would imagine Steph Curry just wants to see it happen first before he tacks on what will be a ridiculous extension. He's going to make $45 million this year on the final year of his contract. So what's about to come for him is just nuts, right? 
Yeah, and, and that's a great point. You know, we we all in our minds probably assume, oh, an extension, it's going to happen on August 6th, and yeah. that's how it's going to be. It does not have to work that way. You know, Curry could sign this extension at the end of August after all the roster moves have been have been conducted. So we may be looking at a roster where and it's not like the NFL's got where Bradley Beal is on this roster because right. they made a trade for him. And then, you know, the, the roster looks completely different than it does right now. And then you make the contract extension offer to him. And keep in mind, it we're all assuming that the contract extension is going to have to be for a maximum salary. It does not have to necessarily be for a full max. You know, they could go middle and you go, uh, you know, upper tier, but not full max. It, it just depends on what the negotiations end up happening with the team. So, you know, at the back end of a career and Steph having injuries and, and that kind of stuff, you know, maybe they come to an agreement that we're going to pay you, you know, 35 instead of the, the 45 or whatever it may be to offset tax down the line and, you know, being able to construct a roster in two or three years after, you know, if they make these moves this offseason. So there's a lot that has to go into it. Uh, so you, to a certain extent, I agree. It, it, the ball is in Steph Curry's court right now, Is if that is. But I still think the Warriors have, oh, they have, have work the to do. ultimate say because yeah. they, they have to figure out what do we offer because you don't want to – offer him an extension that makes him is going to rum him the wrong way and mm -hmm. then really push him out the door. But you want to make sure you have that communication back and forth. So I, I guess, I guess it, the more I think of it, the ball is really in both courts right now and it's more going to come down to negotiation. So explain to me what, what, what his max can, can he, can they tack on four years? Cause real quick, just so for the NFL side fans out there, it's not like the NFL where, there's teams signing extensions right now that are going to affect the current year. You know what I mean? Like if you if like Fred Warner's extension in San Francisco, it lowered his 2021 cap hit and all that good stuff. That doesn't. That's not how the NBA works. It is tack on only. There's no restructure. So Steph Curry's 45.7 million dollar salary for 2021 is untouchable. It's going to happen. What can happen after that, Scott? So if he signs the extension this offseason, he can add four more years onto it. Do you know what the max would be? Let me ask you, let me, let me ask why I'm asking. Let me tell you why I'm asking after this season. Do you know what his career earnings are going to be? Mm. 300 million on the dot. Oh, on the dot. Wow. So to me, I just pop on another 200 mil, make him a half a billion dollar player. And that's going to be Steph Curry's career, which is 40 million a year. That's a bit of a discount, right? Yeah, which possibly. Is, I know. I know that's nuts to say, but it's a bit of a discount. <laughs> so, um, in in, Sturry, in in Curry's case, the the projected cap right now, based on one fifteen, is forty and a half. Now, because oh. it would be an extension, he is already over that, so he can do a uh, hundred and what is it, hundred and five percent of the forty five point seven. Yeah. So that's where the his maximum amount could go up to. Um, and start from there. So that's where that's where I bring up the negotiation of. The, he doesn't in other necessarily. Words, Scott, have in other words, Steph Curry's salary in 2022 could be 48 million dollars, 105 percent of what he's making this year. And and what I'm could. saying is, 
if they could bring it down to 40 on a four-year extension or 45, you know, 45 on a four-year extension, if he's making 45 and then it declines from there down to 40 over the next four years, which makes sense. You'd want to front load. He's 33 going, only getting older. And, and you want to make him more tradable later in his career if he needs to go. And he, he very well may need to go from his perspective. I think it's fascinating. But the Warriors have to make the offer. He was an MVP candidate this year, Scott. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you have to do it. It's a bad time it, to have to sign a guy, but you have to do it. Well, and it could be a situation where what LeBron did, he only signed the two-year extension and, and went on from there. So this could be where you know Golden State, instead of just giving him the full mm. four-year extension, they could say, all right, we're going to just tack on one more year plus a player option to see where the new CBA will be, where our roster is going to be in another year. Let's see what happens with Clay coming back. Uh, let's see what happens with the number seven pick in, next week. Uh, so there's a, like I said, there's a lot of roster configurations that could be happening in the next two months that could alter Curry's decision, whether or not to move forward with an extension or not. But it may be best case scenario of let's just kick this down the road one more year. We'll give you a player option. So you at least have an option to get out if you, if you want to, or see where the cap is, because again, the caps that I'm mentioning, the 112 for next for this year and 115 for the following year, that is based on that 3% raise that was negotiated last year. Right. So that that 115 with fans in the stands, depending on where things go, that that could balloon a little bit more. Um, so I, I the negotiation is going to be key in this in this situation, I think. Fascinating. Not it's not being talked about enough. It will be. It'll pick up steam eventually because you you've got your Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul option decisions right now. That's coming up here really in in the next ten days. All options have have to be decided on by eight by August first. Many of them yes. have deadlines that are before that. We've got that laid out in this piece. Uh, what else in this piece needs to be said, Scott? Max salaries we kind of got through. Uh, we do have the list of. Let's talk about the upcoming dates for those who don't know. It's, uh, six days from yeah. now. July 29th is the NBA draft. We are we have all of the projected rookie contracts on our draft tracker on spytrack.com. Like I mentioned, August 1st is is, is the qualifying offer slash option decision deadline for everybody at some point. Explain to me the, the difference between free agent negotiations starting on August 2nd and then for the free agency moratorium on August 3rd. Is it just they can talk and then they, they can eventually agree <laughs> to a contract? Right. So from 6 p.m. to midnight of August 2nd, they can negotiate. They can talk back and forth. The agents can go and talk to the teams on August 3rd of midnight, okay. 12.01 a.m. They can actually agree structure to a contract. structure yeah. a contract and, and go from there. So they, they built in this buffer, even though, you know. It, yeah, we're going to have the whole thing figured out by August 5th. Let's be honest. Yeah, we're going to have a lot figured out probably by August 4th or, you know, even in August 3rd. But, you know, the the league a few years ago added in this little bit above buffer for negotiations because, you know, all, everyone was waiting until midnight and values were dropping at midnight, one o'clock in the morning and East Coast. Everyone's mostly sleeping at that point. So they shifted uh, the time up a little bit more. So we, we may actually get some more, you know, 
negotiation information, probably some values a little after 6 p.m. There's always going to be a Woj bomb that's going to drop right right at that point anyways. I mean, but yeah, you're right. The collusion that's got to be happening with Dame Lillard in Tokyo (laughs) right now. Oh, my God. I mean... (laughs) I mean, these everybody's just taking this guy out for drinks. Like, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? What are you thinking? You know what I mean? Thank God there's no Lakers there. <laughs> you know? Thank God there's... I mean, there's honestly... The list of people who are there right now that could actually do some collusion recruiting, it's not great. I don't think Jason Tatum's probably really good at that. So, so that doesn't favor Boston. But, you know... I don't think Brooklyn's doing too much this year. Maybe. I guess maybe Brooklyn could bring somebody in in terms of like a big man or something like that. But... It's interesting. That's always a fascinating part of this is the off season. Usually it's like summer league or just, just kind of getting together with, with, with the groups. You hear about the stories. Now you've got like a, a legitimate reason for these players to be together and, and like in a confined space. And we, we generally hear stories about how it went and, and how, who became really close and tight. And a couple of free agencies later, we see those players sort of starting to play together. It's just not the case though with this one. I think it's a weird group over there in team for team USA. Anything else we have to get to here? By the way, August 3rd, August 3rd, excuse me, August, yeah, 3rd, also restricted free agent offer sheet day. So that's the one I'll be watching. Who's going to do it? Yeah. Mark Cuban, I'm looking at you, man. I have faith in Mark (laughs) Cuban. (laughs) Yeah. And another point with uh, August 3rd is any minimum salary contracts, meaning two years or less, can be immediately signed on August 3rd. They don't have to wait sure. because of the minimum salary exception. So that 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 is important to know because most of the time we're talking about guys can't technically sign until August 6th, but that is not the case. Minimum salary contract guys can sign immediately on August 3rd. The rookie scale contract, those first-round picks that are going to be drafted next week, those guys can be signed right away. That's important because if some of those guys sign – uh, they have a 30-day trade restriction, so that means if they signed on August 3rd, they wouldn't be able to be traded until September 3rd, um, which is important because remember back in LeBron, Andrew Wiggins got traded because he did not sign that rookie contract right away, and then they moved him and flipped him to Minnesota for love. So some of that timing with some of those first-round picks, for the most part, they, they'll sign them, but those guys can sign right away and then – the 2019 draft class, their fourth year rookie options and the 2020 uh, third year uh, club options, Zion. those can start to be <laughs> exercised because those are exercised for the, the, the future year. So this year they've already been exercised from last year. So you'll start. Most seeing of those some are of those no guys. brainers, though, because they're so dirt cheap. They are, but it's worth bringing up because for some of those guys that are towards the back end and, you know, they, uh, if a team declines an option, then they're going to become a free agent yep. the following year, a year early. But those are important to know. Um, and then, how about l- this? like you said, I got this for you, Scott, because on our free agent tracker, you've done a nice job of including some statistics. So here's what I'm going to do real quick to finish this thing off. The highest... The most minutes per game among unrestricted free agents. What do you think? We've talked about them quite a bit. Yeah, it's probably got to be uh, DeRozan or Lowry. It's Lowry. I would guess. Yeah, Lowry. The most minutes per game in 2020. The most points per game who could be available via the player option. <laughs> oh, that's got to be uh, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard. And then it's DeRozan, yeah. by the way. So those are your top two scorers on the list, potentially. 
most rebounds per game. You also mentioned this player. <laughs> yeah, Drummond. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He, he can still do it on that side of the board. Look, he went 15 and 12 last year. This is not, uh, I mean, that's a legitimate player. He's going to a contender. There's no question. He may take a smaller salary to do it. You're right. Most assists per game. It's Chris Paul, of course, but, you know, on that player option, who knows? And then it's Lowry. It's Chris Paul, it's Lowry, and then it's DeRozan. So DeRozan's, uh, you know, he's not just a shooter. He, he's got some real stats here to bring to the table in terms of the uh, availability. And then we're talking blocks per game. Man, oh, man. Who's got the most blocks in terms of unrestricted free agents? Yeah, I looked, so I'm spoiler. Noel. Noel's Noel. (laughs) You know, it's interesting. When you you sort by that blocks there and you see all the centers and power forwards and you see the names that are there, you know, I talked about the, the depth. These are guys that, you know, the league has gone away from these big men, but they still are a need for some teams. So these are players that... could well we didn't even we didn't even mention Jared Allen Scott a really athletic big man who got traded off that Brooklyn team he's a restricted free agent too I don't know if he's offer sheet worthy but he's got to be mentioned because he's a he had a real role in that Brooklyn squad before they decided to go superstars and you know he did what he can do in Cleveland I I think he's not long for Cleveland if I had to guess he's he's going to be on other teams uh, minds for sure he's a player there's probably four restricted free agents that are really worth something this offseason. Yeah, completely agree with that. Completely agree with uh, Allen. You know, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes for for what Cleveland did to get Allen. You sort of think that they're going to want to retain him as much as possible. It sounds like they're trading know, the point guard and <laughs> keep trading the, the point guard is completely backwards. Yeah, let's roll yeah. with Kevin Love and Jared Allen. That's going to work. Yeah, and we, we, we saw how well that worked with in Detroit with all the big men that they acquired last year. So, um, And then the, the last thing I'll say here, you, you mentioned it with the, the draft class, uh, the 2008 for rookie extensions. You know, I, I think this is going to be a year where we see record amounts of players signing extensions as opposed to the previous years because of how good right. some of this – uh, some of these players. I mean, you you may see six or seven guys receive max extensions sure. that, you know, I think last year we had, what, four or five. I think we may be up at six or seven this year. And then a few that get extensions that are not maxes, but, you know, it's going to be substantial towards it's been a couple um, the, really good draft classes, Scott, back to back here. Really good, really, really strong. Yes. I mean, that, that rookie extension is going to become a very, very, very important moniker for this league because obviously everybody's trying to get younger and cheaper as much as possible. But we've got a lot of guys on Supermax tracks, things like that. It's going to be very interesting to follow that. By the way, we just kind of glossed over the Cleveland Cavaliers. I didn't even think about Colin Sexton. Is Colin Sexton going to be the freaking Lakers, Lakers point guard next year? It's only a six point three million dollar cap hit to match. I, I yeah, I know, <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't like to pass the ball, and meaning LeBron's gonna hate him. I I do I do uh, you know I know from things that I've read teams were or players on that team were really rubbed the wrong way with him being a sort of a ball hog, not passing the ball, that kind of stuff. I, I don't foresee if he does go to the Lakers, that's gonna be squashed very quickly by LeBron oh, yeah. and AD. 
Yeah, LeBron <laughs> will fix that up pretty pretty nicely. But certainly from a financial standpoint, it's possible. It's maybe the oh, most absolutely. possible option for them because of how low that cap hit is for this this uh, it, fourth year. It, it, and that is a great point by you of if the Lakers are looking to acquire a, a, a point guard, they may have to look at some of these teams yeah. of that rookie scale area where yeah. they see maybe that it's a player that is second on the roster for the point guard, but they see a high ceiling based on whatever they're scouting. That's what I mean with like campaign Cameron Payne. Yes. It's that yeah. kind of player, right? Like if, who can they bring in and mold to, to fit LeBron's system, but also that he's not going to break the bank in 2021 because they just flat out can't afford it. Yeah. That's the right approach. I think something yep. to watch for yep. sure. Absolutely. Good stuff, man. We'll keep up with the NBA stuff. We'll have Keith Smith back as soon as well. Uh, we'll round out his off-season previews as quickly as possible and probably have a big show talking about those and, and a lot more of these bullet points as well. But look, we got to switch gears here next week. The Major League Baseball trade deadline is exactly a week away. The NHL draft is forthcoming. The NBA draft, like we mentioned, is next week as well. A lot of bouncing around. Oh, by the way, NFL training camps are now open as well. So we've got a lot of reasons to talk, to write, to report, to tweet, all that good stuff. Hit us up at SpotTrek on Twitter with questions, thoughts, recommendations, all that good stuff. Scott, thank you. All right, thanks. Today's episode is also brought to you by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to professional athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and are ready to customize a repayment plan catered to your client's situation and financial objectives. Borrow wisely and cost-effectively, Avoid broker fees with no prepayment penalties if you decide to pay it all back early. Whether your client is under contract and looking to secure guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest or make purchase on future earnings, or for any other reasons they need to borrow, let Balanced Bridge get a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client today. Visit balancedbridge.com. It's balancedbridge.com. He's at Darren Heitner on Twitter. He's at Sports Agent Blog on Twitter. He's at Heitner Legal on Twitter. <laughs> Darren, welcome back to the show. Sports law, you're teaching it, you're doing it, you're advocating for it. And look at it, it's a huge part of this name image likeness process. Now three weeks in, essentially, for for the most part. Just what's your what's your your surface take on how things have gone, both positively and negatively here? Well, first of all, thanks for having me yeah, back. Man. Overall, I'd say things are going very well for the through the first three weeks of name, image, and likeness rights being offered to college athletes. Yeah, there are a lot of people who expected chaos, anarchy, the end of college sports as we know it, and really the opposite has been true. Certainly, there are some concerns, such as college athletes seemingly accepting almost every offer that comes their way and not necessarily reading through the terms of every single agreement, nor perhaps understanding what those terms mean. We've seen athletes take deals for about $20, giving away their rights in perpetuity. We've seen them do deals with companies where they may be representing and warranting that they've cleared the rights for those other companies to use the content when in fact that they haven't. Mm. And I think that was somewhat to be expected, at least in the infancy. We've asked individuals who may be as young as 18 years old or younger to basically have an understanding and very quickly educate themselves in very complex areas of the law. And perhaps without having the assistance of legal counsel, financial planner, an accountant, and so on and so forth. So 
I fully expected this to be a learning process that there would be bumps in the road, but by and large, we're also seeing such amazing opportunities present themselves for male and female athletes alike, for softball players, volleyball players, basketball players, football players, all across the board. And so overall, I'd, I'd give it an A or A-plus rating this far. That's excellent. So, yeah, I, I've heard a couple of horror stories myself as well, and, and that's to come with the process here. As you, as you mentioned, it's an education. What is working the best? Well, what's the path that you would recommend athlete A, who's maybe a senior in high school, knows he or she's going D1 next year and wants to get involved? Is it is it partnering with an agency? Is it partnering with one of these third-party companies that are sort of facilitating the whole process for these athletes and their parents? What's your recommendation out there? Yeah, the question itself is really interesting because I've actually done a review of the state laws and high school athletic association bylaws and outside of California, my advice to high school athletes is stay away from NIL activity for the time being because it appears that they could be rendering their eligibility mm. worthless, or at least for a year. But what they can be doing currently is building their brands and building them the right way, figuring out what social media platforms fit best for them, how to grow their followings in an authentic manner. And, and grow that engagement because that's what sells the most. Obviously, talent on the field, on the court, et cetera, helps a lot in negotiating strong deals and even procuring opportunities. But brands are so focused, by and large, on the following counts and engagement and personalities, so on and so forth, on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, et cetera. So I think right now that's what all athletes, whether they're in high school, college, or even at the pro level, should be very focused on and surround themselves with the people who can help them in building their platforms and their engagement. But certainly for the premier athletes, I think they can perhaps be benefited by having strong professional representation uh, from agents and agencies who have experience working with athletes. And it, it may not be an agency that has had a lot of success in negotiating professional contracts. Remember, all that they can be doing for the time being is helping these athletes with their marketing deals. So who are the people and companies that have those relationships and have the experience in finding and negotiating those contracts? That's what I would be looking for. Yeah. So which group of people, right? Is it the university? Is it, is it the executives of the university? Is it the coaching staffs? Is it PR? Who Who's not happy with this? Who's who's least happy with this? Because we saw it's a big story. Nick Saban, you know, promoting his athlete, specifically his quarterback. That's going to certainly help both the athlete himself and the recruiting plan. It's good business from Nick Saban yet again. But I don't think that's the norm. I don't see a lot of coaches out there sort of advocating for their athletes in this direction. Is there a group of people that are probably against this right now? Perhaps internally, but it would be such a misstep at this point for anyone to publicly come out against it. I know even uh, the coach of my alma mater, uh, the football coach, Dan Mullen, uh, when asked at SEC Media Days about the deal at the University of Miami, or at least the offer to roughly 90 football players, asked, is it legal? And that what's, was seemingly a harmless comment and question has caused quite a bit of flack uh, because it's, it's interpreted that he's not necessarily completely behind this. And, and so 
I think it's very uh, risky for anyone associated with the universities or the athletic departments to come out and question whether this is a good thing. I think you've really seen everybody jump on the bandwagon. There's very little criticism whatsoever out there other than what I mentioned earlier, which is simply that perhaps too many people are, are rushing at these opportunities. I Kirby Smart <laughs> quoted uh, Quavo, uh, the rapper, who, who basically said, you know, don't be so thirsty. And I think that's a great line. Like, we, you don't have to jump at every opportunity. And perhaps that is one of the, if not the best criticism thus far. But again, you mentioned Nick Saban talking about Bryce Young and, and perhaps the amount of money that he's been able to command thus far. Coaches, athletic departments, they're absolutely going to be using these things yeah. to their advantage on the recruiting trail. How could you not expect that to happen? No, I put nothing past him. He's the master. So what, what he's, it, it's probably a little bit of hyperbole, as you noted today on Twitter, but hyperbole gets, gets butts and seats. You know how that works. I think I glossed over one of your, uh, one of your earlier points here. So you're saying that after your review, that, that basically the only place it's safe for high school athletes to really dip their toes in this is California right now. Everywhere else, the language isn't strong enough or clear enough for you to, to recommend that high school athletes get involved yet. I've spoken with a variety of high school athletic association executive directors who have either come out and said, under our existing bylaws, athletes should not be participating in NIL activities or something to the effect of it's not clear and clarification is needed. So in the meantime, we'd say stay away. Hmm. A lot of the high school athletic associations in their bylaws state that these athletes cannot receive compensation or any consideration in exchange for or based off of their athletic fame. And what does that mean? I mean, obviously, to an extent, you would think that these individuals would be marketable based on what they do on the field, on the court, etc. cetera. Uh, certainly, many of them have also been able to build strong personas just on social media, irrespective of what they do in uh, athletic competition. So I think it's it does deserve some clarity. But in the meantime, yeah, my suggestion is the same as what I've seen elsewhere, which is that, you know, in half the states, it seems quite clear that high school athletes cannot currently benefit from their NIL monetarily. And in the other half, it's not clear. So the assumption is stay away. And then in California, my review of the language, as well as what I've seen elsewhere, indicates that it's okay as long as the athletes are not using the marks, uh, like the name, uh, any logos of their high schools. Hmm. That's really fascinating. I, I don't think I've, I've heard or read about that yet. I, I just assumed it was all rolled into one, and I'd be one of those people making a huge mistake right now. Two more, <laughs> two more topics, and I'll get you out of here. I really appreciate your time. The, the situation that's happening right now with the NCAA, who... I don't know. Are they stepping aside around this whole thing? I mean, certainly the there's a lot of money talk about the NCAA. Mark, you know, Mark Emmer just extended for one reason or another. Uh, just your general thoughts. I, I don't know if you have a stake in the game here or if you're willing to kind of go out on a limb and speak about the NCAA kind of candidly here. But I, I wonder where the future of the NCAA goes or is there one? Yeah, I've wondered that for quite some time. I'd say I'm more confident than ever as of July 21, 2021, that the purpose of the NCAA has greatly deteriorated over the past month. 
Um, and that started with the opinion 9-0 at the Supreme Court level in Alston v. NCAA, where the court essentially stated that the NCAA is a cartel, has illegally colluded to uh, to prohibit athletes from certain rights. And in that case, it dealt with academic-related expenses. Uh, and Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion was just so powerful, going well beyond academic-related expenses, wondering whether any uh, restrictions that the NCA has put in place are enforceable and, and should remain enforceable. Uh, and, and if we take a step back and we think about what is it that the NCAA does today other than punish athletes and universities for violating the bylaws? Barely. Really? They police themselves. <laughs> well, really, the NCAA is in charge of organizing uh, March Madness. Yeah. And, yeah. and procuring the media rights deals and then distributing the money. But – Outside of that, I'd ask, is the NCA even needed at this point? But outside of that, what benefit does the NCA provide to the member institutions and to the conferences? And it's what I've noted, interestingly, in the recent past is how aggressive some of the conference commissioners have become in their language publicly. Hmm. And I think that's really interesting, something to follow, because – I wouldn't be surprised if in the not so distant future, the NCA either is materially changed or ceases to exist at all. I have to agree with you, or at least just changes gears a lot. Uh, they're going to focus on March Madness because that is obviously the bread money. That's that's what happens. But all right, I, I found another point here. I'm kind of scrolling through your Twitter feed because you're, you're, you bounce around nicely. Like I, I like that you're, you're really trying to take on every angle of this thing and educate us with it. You mentioned something about uh, intellectual property and how it's a big part of this. Um, can you give us an example or, or maybe just a, a more global explanation of how these athletes should be discussing, handling, researching, you know, getting information about intellectual property when they're doing these kind of deals? Well, and that's a really good question uh, because I do a lot of work with professional athletes and many of them have already made, let's say, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. So it's not difficult for them to justify paying legal counsel for advice and assistance. But it's probably a lot more difficult, especially for those athletes who come from poor socioeconomic backgrounds and haven't yet made money to pay uh, for that type of assistance. And so it. it Hopefully, they're receiving a lot of insight and guidance from their respective universities. I know in my state of Florida, in the law, we made sure to build in a requirement that schools provide at least five hours of financial literacy and life skills workshops prior to the athlete's first and third years of enrollment. That's not true in all states. Yeah. And honestly, that should just be the bare minimum. There should be at least this fiduciary responsibility where schools feel compelled to provide as much information as possible, obviously without getting into the weeds and actually negotiating these deals and being involved in, in, in securing and investing the finances of the players. But um, as much unbiased assistance and advice as possible is extremely helpful, especially when we're talking about people who may be 18, 19 years old and never been put in this specific position before. It's, it's absolutely vital. 
I like that a lot. And I wonder if that's something the NCAA could take on, but they probably won't, right? I mean, they, they could be the unbiased sort of uh, umbrella over this and, and at least offering the education process, Not certainly not getting inside the deal specifically. But I, I agree, it has to happen at some point. And I, I hear about it, see it a lot at the professional level with the contracts that I follow. And it's something a lot of the uh, you know the smarter, more educated retired players have been doing with their lives is going back, going to the NFLPA, going to the combine, and trying to sit down with this next crop of players and saying, "Hey, you know, this is how I did it. This is what I recommend. You know, don't even touch your money." Those kind of stories. It, it, that stuff just doesn't really exist on a formal basis. So I, I agree with you. It's money well spent just to get that kind of education out of the way early. Last thing, speaking of the agents. And I know you're aligned with this quite a bit. Well, what are your thoughts about big time professional agents? You know, your CAAs, your Rosenhouses, you know, not even sports specific, obviously. Are, are they prepared to dive into this pool, Darren? Or have, are they hiring accordingly to sort of departmentalize for this? Or are they just simply partnering with marketing agents and marketing groups to be able to bring in athletes at a younger age than they're really you know, used to? And then having that pipeline filter to them when it becomes time for professional contract work. Agencies have been preparing for this for quite some time. And one thing that I'm happy in, in viewing what the ecosystem looks like thus far is that most agencies are not biting off more than they can chew. The vast majority of college athletes haven't and, and never will sign with agencies and specific agents to help them with procuring opportunities and negotiating them. You know, you mentioned the Rosenhouses, the CAAs of the world. Yes, they've signed up players, but we're talking really about a handful at most. Mm -hmm. And and that could grow, certainly. And I think to the extent that it does, those are, are companies. And similarly, their competitors are, are companies that are wise enough to understand that they have to have the resources available to service those players or else they won't be representing them for long. And certainly not through the players' professional careers. And I'm sure that these agencies, while they can't sign these players to professional representation agreements currently, the long game is obviously to work with them on their marketing pursuits and ultimately represent them well into their professional careers as well. Um, but thus far, I've been pretty happy to see how selective the agencies are and also that a lot of athletes understand that having an agent may not be the best fit for them. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, education, yes, but maybe not something as formal as that. Uh, you've got a book out. Please feel free to plug it. I do. <laughs> I, my second edition of How to Play the Game, What Every Sports Attorney Needs to Know is out currently. I've actually just submitted a manuscript for a third edition. But as anyone who's been through the process knows, between now and when the book actually comes out will be quite some time. So if you're interested, you can pick up the second edition and Months from now, when the third edition hopefully comes out, you can pick that one up too. How much does this stuff change? I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not making fun of your Twitter feed when I say it bounces around so much. I have to imagine you're just keeping up with the rat race here, right? I try my best to stay on top <laughs> of it. Uh, it is difficult, uh, especially leading up to July 1 and then that first week. I don't know how much sleep I got, to be honest. I'm still playing catch up. So will, will the third edition have the name image likeness stuff built into it then? Yeah, there was actually some discussion about it before, and, and that's that's a big reason why I've been somewhat involved in this process is because uh, people recognize that it was an area that I had been following for quite some time and advocating that these are rights that should have never been taken away from college athletes. 
Um, but yes, there will certainly be a section that covers that as well as the Alston decision. Sounds like a great reason to pick up the book and follow him at Darren Heitner on Twitter. Darren, thanks so much, man. Thank you.